everybody, and welcome to Crucible. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about how to regain power over your life, the importance and impact of the choices we make, and how it's never too late to save yourself. We all face challenges, crucibles in life, that make us or break us. What matters is how we respond to such roadblocks. That's really what defines us. Through inspirational stories from all walks of life, this podcast will provide you with techniques to overcome and grow from life's most challenging experiences. This is Mary Lee Aitenhan coming to you live from my Dividend Studios in Brentwood, Tennessee for my podcast, Crucible. For this week's episode, I will be interviewing Beth Brower. And Beth Brower is a dear friend of mine, has been for many, many, many years. Um, she graduated high school from the CSS Colorado Springs High School. It's a private boarding school. She has her degree in special and elementary ed from Druid College in Missouri. And she taught at AM for 20 years and received the Educator of the Year, Special Ed Educator of the Year in 1989. Um, today's the anniversary of her meeting Matt O'Brien, who wrote Dark Days and Bright Nights. This is her 12th year of being sober. She's an avid Broncos fan and Golden Knights hockey, and um, she's involved with the Shine Light Ministries and many, many, many more. So our, our episode today is entitled Out of the Tunnels and Into the Light. <laughs> so there you go, Beth. You want to give a little more backstory of how we know each other? Yeah. Um, first of all, my name is Beth and Brower, and I'm definitely an alcoholic and an addict. And I've known Mary Lee my almost my entire life. Um, we knew, grew up in the same town. I grew there, moved there when I was in fifth grade. And um, I uh, always admired her and, and uh, watched her uh, be- become real involved with uh, her church. And, um, and um, I kind of took a different path. And then we reunited um, after uh, kind of after I got sober. It was quite, quite a, a, a lifespan there. And um, we were really good friends. And she stood by me all the way through high school. And, I even is kind of find it ironic that I I did the punch bowl that I didn't spike at at her wedding, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I was a part of her wedding, and then um, we just kind of grew apart after that. I uh, had uh, chose to do a lot of different things, and um, then we reunited. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's been a great time ever since since we have reunited. I think I went off and went to the university, got married. Um, you were in the wedding and then had babies and then you know how that goes. It's just like my life just exploded, you know, and I was trying to focus on having, you know, trying to have a successful teaching career. So, um, yeah, I'm so glad that we got reunited. I wanted to read you a quote from the book and then I'm going to just let you start where, wherever you want. Um, but this is actually from Matt's, um, second book. And he says, it's, um, it says, are you aware that hundreds of people live underground in the flood channels of Las Vegas? Few people were until Matthew O'Brien grabbed a flashlight, tape recorder, and expandable baton for protection and explored the, stro- the storm drain system in depth. This research resulted in his landmark book, Beneath the Neon, 
his second book, right? Now the drains have been covered by CNN, Fox News, NPR, Dr. Phil, New York Times, BBC, Al Jazeera, et cetera, et cetera, and including episodes for CSI and Criminal Minds. But here's the most important paragraph. But the fact that several of those drug and gambling addicted, gambling addicted tunnel dwellers have clawed their way out of the drains and turned around their lives has received far less attention. And it, you're one yeah. of those people, Beth. And that just breaks my heart, but I'm just so thankful. So thankful for thank, you. Thank you, Marty. Um, You know, um, my uh, story begins and and, and been, been a, you know, I, I got loaded and, and uh, was introduced to weed and and uh, alcohol at age 11. Um, my uh, mom and dad um, had, there was three of us in our family. And um, my, uh, I had twin brothers. Um, I had one brother that had a learning disability and one brother who was just always in line. You know, no problems whatsoever. And then there was me. And, you know, I came out of the womb different. I came out having a lot of food allergies. And uh, I, um, you know, would get in trouble at school. Mom and dad would get phone calls when I was in kindergarten because I was hitting people. And uh, a lot of that stemmed from the fact that I, I just didn't fit in. I was never comfortable in my own skin. And I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. I think it started with the allergies and um, also some separation anxiety. I know that from, from a lot of outside... Uh, therapy, you know, uh, my used to have to, to go to school with things made out of buckwheat flour, made out of potato flour, made out of all that good stuff for us now, right? Right. Um, Back then, nobody and, knew a thing about it. <laughs> no, they didn't. And, and and not only did they not know anything about it, but I got teased a lot about it. And um, when I was four, before I was even in school, I was kind of backtracking a little bit, my, my mom was taking me to to uh, Cheyenne to the allergy doctor and was in a head-on collision. And the, that, that wreck, um, my father, bless his heart, he was a uh, county attorney and got a phone call. And we were lived in Kimball. We hadn't moved to Scotch Bluff yet. And he got a phone call that, that um, there had been a fatality wreck. And he came out to find our, our rambler and uh, all messed up and they'd already taken my mom and myself to Cheyenne to the hospital and my dad intercepted me somehow I don't recall any of that at all but he intercepted me and took me back to Kimball and then the next day took me over and they covered my mom was pretty well mangled and they they covered um, most of the, everything up and let me see my mom to try to prevent any of that kind of future effect having on me, but it, it, it just didn't work. And so um, going away and putting in and sending people away was uh, um, the solution back then. Uh, I had a brother who had a very big learning disability in school, and so um, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, special education in western Nebraska, so they... Um, sent him to school in uh, Denver for a year to live with an aunt and an uncle. So that was my first experience. You know, it was always going away. There was always an absence. And so mm. um, 
you know, I started rebelling and started uh, doing all sorts of things. And, um, and uh, I went to all extremes. I went from, you know, smoking weed and drinking just a little bit when I was like in sixth grade. It's the first time. And then my, um, my uh, uh, parents had a cousin whose uh, kid was real involved in a religious cult. And so I, at that time, I don't know, you know, you're ready when you're ready. Find God when you find God. And um, I uh, was playing around with that a lot. And Mary Lee was a big part of that. Her faith was huge and uh, huge, always. <laughs> and um, I um, I used to get uh, uh, punished a lot for going to, to Bible studies across the street and coming home like two minutes late. Or, you know, there was a lot of things that went on. And it scared my parents because they had this cousin that was in a cult. And, and I was going to all these meetings and they were coming home all the time. And I was wanting to go out and get baptized and do all this stuff. And they just, they just weren't having it. So my junior and senior year of high school, they shipped me off um, to a private school in Colorado Springs. Um, it was a girls' school. It was a boarding school. We did have three guys in our class. We were the first class that graduated with any guys in it. Mm -hmm. And boy, did I learn how to party there, man! Because oh. I had all these. Uh, um, we had a lot of girls that were, whose parents were in the oil field overseas, and they're bringing all back cash and all sorts of stuff in their mm -hmm. suitcases. And and I got introduced to some drugs, and then. You know, uh, went to college and, and, and uh, graduated, and, and it accelerated. And here's the deal. You know, they say the insanity uh, of, 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 um, of alcoholics or addicts is and, and um, doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. Well, that's not what it is for me, man. It's doing the same thing over and over again, knowing exactly what's going to happen and doing it anyway. Mm. And, I, I, and, you know, I, I am a queen of building it up really good and then tearing the rug out from underneath me um, and tearing it down. So um, some of my buildups were I, I went, to, went to Texas straight out of college, um, already smoking uh, weed on a daily basis, messing around with things called um, – Quaaludes back then, um, doing a lot of different stuff. Uh, I had done a lot of masculine. I'd done a lot of acid in, in college. Uh, um, I, I guess kind of one of the kind of cool things is that uh, now that I'm sober, about three weeks ago or a month ago, I took myself to the Rolling Stones on a self-date and saw them totally sober, and I hadn't seen them for 40 years. I saw them. And 81, awesome. and uh, boy, what a treat. What a treat it was. So anyway, so I I'm, I'm, um, have moved to College Station, which is the home of Texas Aggies. Whoop! Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I, I'm, I'm living there, and I'm teaching in a little small town right outside of Texas A&M, which is called Caldwell. And I'm teaching elementary school and doing quite well and uh, teaching special ed because because I build things up, right? That's what we do. And then we pull the rug out from underneath us by something stupid and start that whole cycle all over again. So I um, am in, um, in Texas, and I build it up to becoming Special Ed Teacher of the Year for the whole yeah. state. 
five years later, you might want to leave this state. Um, you know, I uh, got, I was in the classroom and, and I, I couldn't tell the truth. I lied like a rug. I, and I uh, was jeopardizing a bunch of different kids. And I uh, had your special ed kid or your special ed kid in, in the classroom. And uh, I was loaded. And um, mm -hmm. they knew it. And um, at, while I was in Texas, I did, you know, part of the buildup was I, I decided, you know, I, I'm going to become a martial artist. <laughs> All four foot live with me. And I did. And I did quite mm -hmm. well with that. And, yeah, and you did. I, Ran my own karate gym for many, many, many years down there. Um, the beauty of that is God has provided all these kids that are now in their 30s and 40s. Everybody comes to Vegas, right? So right. they come to Vegas and they visit me and they see me. And um, I get the opportunity to say, hey, you didn't have the best part of me. And, and hey, I am so, so sorry for all the things I did. And how can I make it right? And almost all of them, and I bet I've done this with 30 kids, I have all of them say, just hang out with us. And so uh, it's been exactly. a lot of fun, been really cool. That's so, um, so yeah, I had I had, had had the the mental health, you know, playing I'm depressed and then going to get the psych meds and in and out. I was in and out of rehab. They tried. They tried hard in Texas. I was in and out of rehab five or six times in Texas. Mm -hmm. And um, so what did I do? Just like I, I grew up seeing, I ran, man. So I, I, uh, I uh, ran to Vegas, and here was what the beauty was. Vegas was hopping, man. Mm -hmm. They were looking for teachers. They were growing so fast. Their third they were the third largest school district in the nation. And, boy, I came a running to Vegas. I ran. And... Um, I got here. It was great. They gave me a signing bonus. They gave me a moving access bonus. And and here's the beauty of Las Vegas. You can mess up in this school and I'll move you to that school. Uh -huh, you can mess sure. up in that school, they'll move you to the next school. Mm -hmm. You can mess up in that next school, they'll move you to the next school. Right. So I, I school hopped in this town. And, and uh, you know, alcoholism... And addiction is a progressive disease. It's a progressive disease. It's something that I'm going to have the rest of my life. It won't go away. And there are certain things I have to do to keep myself from going back down that that road. Um, and so it's a real progressive disease. And so what happened was I eventually got the DUI, eventually had the car impounded. I eventually, mm -hmm. and every time, my bless my mom and dad's souls, they, they would fly to Vegas, they'd send me to rehab, they'd clean up whatever mess I left in my apartment, they'd hang out for a few days, and they'd go back to their retirement. Mm -hmm. And they did this for almost 20 years out here. And, yeah. um, and oh, no, that's not, about 11 years. And so um, what finally happened was I got caught in the last school classroom, my face down on the desk with two, three handicapped kids in the classroom. And I was done. Uh, they were done. And I thought I was done, right? So sure. mom, mom and dad flew to Vegas. I lost my job. I'm sitting in an apartment that's just 
totally a wreck. There's there's crap everywhere. Every, there's holes burning everything. There you know it smells like a at this point as a combination of a meth lab and a and a lot of weed and um so my mom and dad say won't you go and of course i do whatever good addict now call this sure i'll go to rehab anything gets sure. the heat off right mm -hmm. so they take me to rehab and i check into monta vista hospital once again it's rehab number 16. okay it's rehab number 16. and i've been doing this from 1982 to them and uh, for well longer than that i've been i've been on a th almost a 30-year venture at that point and um so um i go into rehab and um i uh, do what every good alcoholic and addict does i get all that crud out of my system about that third day i got this i'm out of here peace out and um they'll give you a cab one way anywhere and um, I walked in on my own, so they'll let me leave on my own. Then I, several times I walked in there on a, a legal 72-hour hold, several times. And so I go home to no home. And um, I get out of that cab, and I find out I've been 86 from my own apartment. Um, my mom and dad, in three days, in their 70s, have packed up my apartment they have moved it to a storage unit somewhere in Vegas, and they have left. They are done. Mm. They are done. Now, I have $20 in my pocket. I have my little roller suitcase from rehab, and I'm on the streets of Las Vegas. Um, I start walking, and I, uh, I uh, use that $20. You know what I did with that, for sure. First liquor store I could find. Sure. And um, yeah, yeah. And I end up in a park. It's about two and a half miles from where I lived, and um, I am uh, not quite sure. It was one day, two day, three days. Not quite sure. But a few days later, I wake up, and I am tied to a park bench. I am no clothing on from the waist up, mm. and this guy comes to me. And says, ma'am, you can't do this here, here. And he takes his shirt off his back and he gives it to me. And we start talking. He asks me if I want to get high, of course. And so um, we get high and he says, hey, I know somewhere you can go and get out of this, get out of the weather here. Come on. And so I um, had no idea, you know, he could have killed me. He could have done anything, but he didn't. He walked me down to this ravine that's like a, a drain in Las Vegas. So in the 70s, a little background history of this, in the 70s, there was a couple big rainstorms here in Vegas, and so they decided to put in all these storm drains. So they put in over 450 miles of storm drains in Las Vegas, and about 250 to 300 miles of them are underground. And so... He introduced me, took me down this ravine and, said, and introduced me to the tunnel of Las Vegas, this one tunnel. And so um, I started hanging out with them because I was getting free drugs. And um, mm -hmm. they started asking me to do certain favors for those free drugs, and I complied without, without batting an eye. See, my alcohol and my drugs... 
have made me be able to live in an animalistic life. It really was. And so I ran drugs out of the tunnels of Las Vegas. Um, I dealt drugs out of there. Um, did all sorts of uh, other sexual things to get money. Um, and um, that's where I lived for the next eight and a half months. Mm -hmm. um, I'm the type of alcoholic and addict that will sit there uh, with a lighter and flick it. And I understand the tunnels. couple things. The tunnels are pitch black. Yeah. The tunnels are never dry. My feet stayed wet for eight and a half months. Oh, wow. Um, the tunnels, I was a kind of alcoholic, would sit there and turn my headlamp off because I knew that you were passed out there. And I'd sit there and I'd flick a lighter on the side of the tunnel and I wouldn't be able to have any fluid in the lighter just enough because I knew there was a crack there and you had two lower tabs sitting in there. So I was going to find those solar tabs. I was going to steal them from you. And then you're going to wake up and you're going to pull my fingernail off from stealing from you. Mm. And then I'm going to come back and do that a second time. And then I'm going to come back and do it a third time. And then I'm going to come back and you're going to start taking teeth. <laughs> so I have three nails and two teeth that I lost in the tunnels. Um, that's just part of the whore you know there's there's yeah. like different things that that you um rules you live by like walk on the right pee and whatever on the left you know mm -hmm. rats and spiders on the left and in the middle you know those are kind of rules you do and you, you the thing is you never mess with anybody's other belongings and i couldn't do that so i was a frequent flyer in three different tunnels in las vegas Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time in one that is um, over by the Hard Rock. I also spent a lot of time in one that was enter. It would enter um, is uh, at what we call the Rio Hotel here in Vegas, and it went underneath the 15, which is the highway that goes all the way to um, either goes to uh, LA or to LA or to Salt Lake City, depending which mm -hmm. direction you're going. And that one comes clear, if you're familiar with Vegas, comes clear out by the MGM. It's a very long tunnel. Yeah. And um, so uh, what happened, unbeknownst to me, that God was just helping me reach my bottom. He was helping me realize how beautiful he was. So what happened was, there occasionally there would be these people come down. He always knew they weren't tunnel people that lived there because they had brighter flashlights, man. And it was either mm -hmm. Metro Police Department or news reporters. And what happened was this guy had written a book before I got in the tunnels. His name is Matthew O'Brien, and he was an editor for a magazine called City Life Magazine here in Las Vegas. And there was a guy that had murdered some people and... Uh, had used the tunnels to escape, and Matt eventually convinced when Mary Lee read read part of the excerpt from there, convinced a uh, co-worker to go down there with him, and they went down into the tunnels just out of curiosity on how this guy did that. And they came across all these vets, all these homeless people, all these criminals, and, uh, you know, God uh, did a special mold with Matthew. He mm -hmm. sure did, because it gave him the compassion of God, uh, of giving back to others that only God can give. And he, um, Matt used to come, would come down there and say to people, hey, man, you, here, here's a pair of socks. 
here's a pair of shoes, here's a blanket. He'd go down on Thanksgiving and take meals down there to people. And, and he, he started exploring and started walking these tunnels and he discovered all these people. So he decided to write a book. And the name of the book was Beneath the Neon. So mm -hmm. it's a real dark story of the tunnels, the real dark side of the tunnels. And so he wrote this book. And when he wrote this book, it went viral big time. And um, so they had did a lot of a lot of different things. It made national news all over the place. And so I'm living in the tunnels, and this is how God works. And a crew from 2020 comes down with Matthew. And when he came down there, I, I, I'd seen him a couple of times. I just kind of ran. I was too busy getting high. I didn't want to have anything to do with him. Sure. And and he, uh, he uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he came down there to, to interview some people. And they ran this story on 2020. Now, you tell me there is no God. And, and my parents are sitting home, retired in Colorado. And they see me in the background of a 2020 special on him in the book. And they said, oh, my goodness. Now, I weigh 143 pounds now. And I, at that time, when I checked into rehab, I weighed 72 pounds. I was half my body weight. Right. And they um, yeah. came. 4'11", right? <laughs> yeah, I'm 4'11 on a good day. Yeah. Um, and so they, um, they flew to Vegas. and They hired a private detective to come looking for me. And the private detective found me, and I immediately turned my headlamp off and gave him the middle finger with some verbals and ran. Because mm -hmm. every good tunnel rat can run a good mile and pitch black in their tunnel, let me tell you. Yeah. And so they came back, and um, they came back within the next couple of days, and they shot me with something in my leg, and they threw me over their shoulder, and they carried me out. Wow. And they took me to my mom and dad. And my mom and dad were at a hotel room waiting. And when I walked in, my mom just 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 grabbed me and hugged me. Um, it was the first real hug I'd had in about a year. Um, and she, I had this moment of clarity. See, she said, won't you, won't you try this one more time? You're going to die, Beth. And I said, yes. And my mom said, in typical my mom, would you like to take a shower? And I said, sure. So I got undressed and my mom started the water spigot and she pulled the water on. And I got in the shower and it hit my back and I screamed. You could have heard me a block away. I hadn't had a shower in eight and a half months. It was like splitting needles on my back. Hmm. And my mom, who was crippled from that car wreck when I was four, right. fully dressed, got in the shower and bathed her 50-year-old baby. Uh. And then she we took they took me back to the hospital and the um, rehab, and they wouldn't take me. And that's where I ended up spending 10 days in the, in the medical hospital. And then I went back to rehab. And... Um, I don't know. I was completely done. I was completely defeated. I did had no more answers. No more answers. And so I did 30 days there. I went to a house called We Care, which was founded by a 
Betty McLean. Betty McLean is um, Don McLean who did the uh, song Bye Bye Miss America Pie's sister. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they started this right right behind the stratosphere. And I went and spent 30 days there. And then I went to Women's Sober Living for nine and a half months. And I haven't looked back. And you would think that's where my story would end. But it's only where it begins. <laughs> so. I can, yeah. I understand. I know your story. So, yeah. Share how it, it starts now. Yeah. How it really starts. So, my recovery looks like this. I really finally realized that I didn't have a moral defect of character. I had a disease. I had a disease that stemmed between my ears and told me I didn't have a disease. Mm. And the only solution for me not to put drugs and alcohol in me is to put something else in me, man. And I, I, I found that solution um, through the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous and the, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is our textbook. You know, alcohol is not my first choice by any means, but it, it describes exactly how I behave and exactly how I think and exactly how I operate. So I start going to big meetings and I find out two things. Number one, no one laughs at me. And number two, no one asked me why. Mm -hmm. Everyone nodded and they totally agreed and they totally got it. Yeah. See, you know, some of the things that, that we do as alcoholics and addicts, you know, if we start talking about some of the things going on in our head, you know, we're going to be, uh, we're standing on the street corner and doing that, you know, you know, we're going to be all alone real quick. I walk in the room, Alcoholics Anonymous, and everyone agrees. Everyone nods. Everyone gets it, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. I call it, I call that committee between my ears just for a reference, my itty bitty shitty committee because it's always in session. <laughs> <laughs> it's always in session. Mm -hmm. And so, anyway, so I start doing the deal. I start I start um, going through the steps. I start cleaning up the wreckage of the past. I start um, getting out of the financial debt. I start trying to get my teaching certificate back, which I did do. Um, mm -hmm. I start doing all the work that needs to be done to be a successful human, human and, and to contribute to society instead of take. Um, and um, lo and behold, God surely wasn't done with me. He surely wasn't done with me. He surely saved me. And, and he had given me uh, um, a uh, book and a group of women and men that I can relate to. So fast forward, I'm about eight years sober and I... I'm coming up on my eight-year birthday, and I'm scared to death because I'm tired of going to meetings. I'm tired of doing this stuff. I know it's working, but I'm tired. Sure. And and, and um, they've just made a made marijuana legal in the state of Nevada, and I'm like, what the hell, man? They wait till I get done, <laughs> and I I'm, I'm just tired, and I know I can't do that, and I just know where that'll lead, and I'm just kind of bitter, and I I kind of get in a in yeah. a funk. And so um, it was suggested to me to change sponsors, Beth. Man, maybe you outgrew your sponsor. Maybe maybe you need to do that. And there had been this lady I'd been talking to for quite a while. And um, she was actually a friend of mine. And we'd known each other for almost my whole sobriety. And um, 
I finally got the guts at a convention to ask her, and um, so that that's kind of interesting story. So um, we're at this convention, and <laughs> she goes, um, "I'm talking to her sponsor, not her, but to her sponsor in the pool." So Beth, have you ever got down on your knees and asked God to give you the strength to do what you need to do to keep yourself going? And I said, well, no, Chris. She said, well, why don't you do that? So I just looked at her, and I'm bawling by this point. I get out of the pool. It's only like 150 billion degrees out. And I right. I walk up to, go up to my hotel room, and I get on my knees, and I just, God, just, just give me the strength to do this. I need to do it to keep going. So... I come down the elevator, go back to the pool, and I open the door, and there she is, standing right at the door. So I proceed to drag her in the elevator and close the door <laughs> and ask her, she says, I've been waiting for you to ask me for quite a while. So Aww. that started my journey with her. <coughs> Excuse and me. that's um, Marcy, is that right? No, that's Lisa. Marcy? Oh, Lisa. with Lisa, okay. Yeah. And uh, Marcy's where the party was. Um, yeah. And so Lisa starts to sponsor me and i don't know she's been sponsoring me for about maybe a month maybe not even a month and i get this phone call from her that um you know to go she needs me to go speak for her at this this meeting so i go to speak at this meeting and it's a real fancy meeting in a real fancy part of vegas and i you know I walk in there in my jeans and my hoodie which is basically a tire for beth and mm -hmm. i walk in there and and I start sharing my story, and um, lo and behold, there's somebody in that audience who knows Matt O'Brien, the author. Uh -huh. And they get a hold of him, and he doesn't even live in this country. He lives in San Salvador. Tell me there's no God. Yeah. They get a hold of him, and he says, and say, hey, this chick is crediting you for saving your life. You had no idea. And he says, no, I had no idea whatsoever. And so Matt friends me. I drop my phone. I just literally dropped my phone on the, he comes on Facebook, he friends me, and I drop my phone on the ground. I call Lisa, what do I do? What do I do, Beth? Why don't you hit the word accept? You know, I, I <laughs> so I accept his friend request, and we start talking, and he says, you know, I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book on, on the bright side of the tunnels, and I'm, gonna, I'm interviewing these people, and I'm asking everybody the same questions, and I'd like to interview you for that. Can we do that via Skype and stuff? And I said, absolutely. I said, I just want to hug you and thank you for saving my life. So we started talking back and forth a little bit. And he says, nah, I'm flying back to Vegas and meeting you. Aww. So on December 20th, four years ago today, I sat in my sponsor's house. And I met Matthew O'Brien for the very first time. Um. I answered all his questions. We had this understanding. If there was something I didn't want to answer, that'd be okay. And our friendship and our life has blossomed since. Um, the book came out a year ago this past November 17th. Um, it's called Dark Days, Bright Nights. Um, he interviewed 36 of us in that book. Mm. And when he got done interviewing me, he says, you need to go down to this place called Freedom House here in Las Vegas and asked for this guy by the name of Paul. So I, he says, go down and talk to him. Cause I started this nonprofit before I left called shine a light. And I really like for you to become a part of it. So I go down there and I introduce myself to Paul 
And lo and behold, I find out that Paul's mom and I have known each other from the tunnels and from, from years and years and years ago. And I start giving back. I start collecting things. And I start getting collecting supplies for Shine a Light. But I can't go back down underground, man. I just can't yeah. do it. I can't figure it out. And that's when I came to the realization that getting sober is a, a, a joint effort. It's a joint thing. I, I needed outside help. I needed more therapy. I needed more things to help me. That Alcoholics Anonymous was not just a cure-all. And it, it's definitely a cure-all for, for me getting sober. But to maintain my sobriety, I had to do something. So what I did is I got that outside help. And I got that EMDR therapy. And I did everything I could do to absolutely become the best I could become. And so what happened was, um, after that, I had a really good friend there, the name of Jessica, and I knew she was going underground, and this is how God works, man. He healed my heart, and then he made me feel like I could be okay, and he moved my feet. Mm -hmm. And what happened was, I went back down into the tunnels for the first time, after I was 10 years sober. That's fabulous. And uh, I went back down, and I've been back down one other time. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, and you know, the the beauty of Alcoholics Anonymous and the beauty, I guess if I could, um, could say uh, three um, things of advice, one of them would be... Um, you know, I definitely, 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 definitely know I have another drunken high in me. That is, without a shadow of a doubt, I know that. But I don't think I have another recovery. Mm. And because I don't think I have another recovery, I'll, I'll just stay put. Um, Good for you. I know that there's a solution. I know there's a solution. Um, I know that no matter how far down the road that we've gone, that there is a way back. Um, if anybody listening is suffering for alcohol or drug addiction, when you're ready, you're ready, man. And when you're ready, there's a solution. I do know that um, I've buried a lot of people that haven't found that. Yeah. Because, you know, um, we're kind of like, we're time freaks, man. We want things now. We want the solution now. And we want to feel better now. But I'm going to tell you what. If, if you don't put in the work, you don't get the results. Um, I knew that. Because I, here's the deal. I, I went into rehab 17 times, right? Every right. single time I left rehab thinking, I'm going to stay sober this time. Yeah. Every single time I went to a meeting afterwards. But every single time it's just, I was willing to do the social part. I wasn't willing to do the step work. Mm. Um, the, the, you hear people talk about the steps. And what the steps does, um, how do I do it? They, keep, uh, they say that the steps keep me com from committing homicide and the, and the traditions keep me from committing, or the steps keep me from committing suicide and the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous keep me from committing homicide. Okay? Mm. So the steps yeah. teach me how to, to live with me and be comfortable in my own skin. I'm comfortable with my own skin the first time it took me until I got to the year 
until I was about 54, 55 years old to do it. Yeah. But you got there. Some people, yeah, some people never get there. Yeah. You know, so kudos then, to um, you. That's yeah. One, you <laughs> know, my, Matt has actually wrote three books between the two, um, beneath the neon and and dark days, bright nights. He um he's quite adventurous. He went and stayed at a place called the Blue Angel, which is like in the middle. Uh, it's old, old Las Vegas. It's it's a, a very um. It's, it's not in the best part of it's not in the garden spot of Las Vegas. Let's just say that and he wrote lived there for a week and wrote a book on the the uh, hookers, the streets, and the tunnels of Las Vegas. And um, so that was his middle book, and it's called My Week at the Blue Angel. Okay, <laughs> sounds interesting for me at all. Well, no, I mean I'm just. I, I've always thought you're just a force to be reckoned with in a positive way because you've always had that energy and that's what drew me to you as, you know, as a friend and just your craziness to just be, do whatever, you know, I always just appreciated that and, and loved you for that. So, but I just want to say, oh my gosh, Beth, there, there are so many people and, and you've texted me since I went for your 10th anniversary in Vegas and of your sobriety. It's probably should be your 10th birthday. I'm not sure if it's birthday anniversary here, however you say it. But um, since then, in that that party that we had at Marsha's, that all the people that have that you've lost and it's like, oh, my gosh, I was sitting right next to this guy. We had this great discussion and 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 I do believe that, you know, people leave rehab with the best intentions you know that this is it you know this is going to be it and um and then it's not so, so i don't know um, i just appreciate your advice and all your wisdom let me add one more thing now i work for a nonprofit called tin high tin high stands for there is no hero in heroin and it was started by a guy by the name of joe engel and he lost his son to a heroin overdose and um so he started this nonprofit, and then they um, they got this really good idea, and he was in the uh, he was in the formation group that opened up Mission High School. Mission High School in Las Vegas is the only publicly funded recovery high school in the nation. That's um, awesome, and it, it's 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 a beautiful thing. Uh, I think the first year they graduated two kids. Last year they graduated ten. Um, the part of Tin High I work for is called APG, which stands for Alternative Peer Group. And so we bring the kids back here after school every day. We have a 12-step meeting. We have a smart recovery. We have all recovery. We have um, AA. We have a Dirt Bags, which is a, a name of a group that I'm a part of. Um, mm -hmm. It's an AA meeting. And Dirt Bags stands for Drunks in Recovery Together. Beating Alcoholism with Gratitude and Spirituality are uh, founding uh, hoodies on the back that said, I don't gamble with my chips. Mm. And so um, I work for that nonprofit now, and we do all sorts of things with the kids. I took them on a cave um, um, outing not too long ago, hiking in a cave at night. That was a lot of fun. We did uh, had an electrician come in and teach them how to wire a lamp. We called it Wired Up. Um we have a, um, a book club that we call Strip Club. It stands for Seeking Truth. 
and recovery in print. Um, and uh, we do activities every day with them. So that, that's what I'm doing now. So um, I'm really involved in, in, in the solution. Um, the solution. There is recovery. And, and don't be defeated if, if you don't get the first time. I sure didn't. Yeah. So what message would you give your parents, your mom? What par message would I give my parents? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, for never giving up. And um, as you look down on me in heaven, uh, I know that you're looking down and uh, you're seeing me smile with my heart. Not just my face, with my heart. Yeah, that's awesome. You're seeing my feet do things that make a difference in not only my life, but in everybody's life. Um, on Christmas Eve, which is what, four days from now, um, that will be the uh, anniversary of my parents passing. Um, my, mm. when my mom passed, the message was went like this. I was there. So when my mom holding her hand said, Mom, you know, you're almost, I'm almost three years sober at this point. In the first year, you had your daughter back, but you didn't trust her. Your second year, you trusted her, and we had so much fun, Mom. And now that I'm just a month shy of turning three, it's okay to go be with God. Mm. And my mom passed away within a few hours of that conversation. Wow. The conversation a few years later, she died in 2012. So 2017, Christmas Eve, the conversation went like this. Hey, Daddy. I'm so sorry I can't make it. I'm so sorry I can't get to Vegas or to Colorado. I just can't make it. I can't get there. Um, and um, I, it's okay for you to go be with God. But guess what, Daddy? Four days ago, I met had you called him the tunnel man. Aww. And it was magical and miraculous. And I'm, Daddy, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Mm. And my dad died within 30 seconds of that conversation. Wow. He was probably hanging on to hear oh, yeah. from you. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful, Beth. And you are okay. You're, you've got a, a job, a car, a, a nice apartment, you know. Right. Here's another thing. You know, when people ask me what I'm grateful for today, you know, and the people say that all the time. What are you grateful for? People come up with all sorts of things. Here's my, my top three things I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for an indoor bedroom. I'm grateful for plumbing. And I'm grateful for air conditioning. <laughs> yeah. Especially. Those are my top three things, man. Yeah. That's you know what great. it's like when you lose all those? Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much today, Beth, for being my sure. guest. I know people are going to reap a lot from this and just be inspired. And I hope everybody checks into Matt's books, you know, as well. Because right. they are such books of hope. Um, not just your life, you know, but many, many others. And what a ministry he's had. Yeah. So. He, he uh, used um, our street names in the book. So I'm half pine in the book. Okay. Uh, my my friend, the Paul, who's running the uh, 
a shine a light since Mathfuta San Salvador is uh he's shaggy in the book and then his mom is one shoe sue and she oh. got that nickname because she came out of that tunnel with one shoe on and cuffs so yeah wow <laughs> Thank, thank you, so, you much. so much. Yeah, thanks, Beth. Thank you so much for joining me today on Crucible. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button and share with your friends. I'm Mary Lee Aitenhan, and I'll see you next week.